Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother John, Michaela, Heidi. Appreciate that so very much. Grab your Bibles, John, Job chapter number 12. Job chapter number 12. If you need a copy of the Scriptures, we'd love for you to follow along. Uh, there should be one in front of you in the back of the pew. Job chapter 12 will be in just a few moments. Uh, several weeks ago, a couple months now, we started back in Hebrews chapter 5, if you remember, in verse number 14, we uh, expressed a desire to be able to, as Paul writes there, have our senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And so we embarked on the journey that we've called this study and discernment, this desire to having discernment, especially when it comes to hot button issues. Last week, we began looking at this one, discerning gender identity. Is it divine design or disoriented disorder? Last week, we began by just asking the question, okay, uh, where are we today? What does it look like in this, this landscape of America, this country that we live in, and even around the world? Are, are we embracing divine design, or are we embracing this disoriented disorder? Well, we answered that by recognizing we are living in a world that where chaos and confusion has reached a fever pitch, hasn't it? And uh, reality is that when it comes to gender identity and transgenderism, bizarre and disturbing don't begin to describe what we are inundated with on a daily basis. Brother Smig's Sunday School Hour uh, alluded to the reality of what we say, see, saw there in Second Timothy and uh, chapter 3 and certainly these perilous times that we live in. And so certainly that is a great description of it. We identified this last week that we are being brainwashed through chaos and confusion. It breeds a total disorientation. Lost people that don't know who I am, what I am, and so forth. Why am I even here on earth? And it's no surprise that pandemic included, as it, as it is called, suicide rates are skyrocketing. People are as confused as ever, and uh, that is leading them to chaos and so forth and breeds disorder, and it certainly then opens the door for new truth in redefined humanity. Um, we have turned, as we said, identified in our culture, we have turned a discussion that should be rooted both in science and, most importantly, God's Word uh, into a emotionally infused debate. And all we have done is taken those who believe differently, and if you believe one way, you're either affirming and loving, or if you believe, according to Scripture, you are bigoted and hateful. You know, reality is this. What once appeared to be a done deal. For those of us who were around or had children during the ultrasound, that was a great time of reveal, right? Now we have gender reveal parties and all that good stuff. Well, you will find this hard to believe, young people. Long before ultrasounds, it, we waited for the doctor to say, it's a boy or it's a girl. Okay? And uh, I can tell you from personal experience, ultrasounds lie. Okay? So don't believe that they can lie, all right? But it happens to be either a boy or a girl, right? So long, long gone is that, uh, that uh, it's settled. <laughs> what the ultrasound says or what the picture says, what the doctor says, hey, it's a boy, it's a girl. Boy, that's gone. In our last Wednesday, this past Wednesday, we put out a letter from one of our missionaries, the Pipers in New Zealand. I don't know if you caught it. But they are talking about, he was saying, the government was writing new laws right now, right now, writing new laws that saying in birth certificates, the gender would not be determined until a later time. So I can just imagine it. There's the doctor. It's an it. It's a human. It's mankind. I mean, are, how ridiculous are we? But is that not the chaos and confusion we live in? And that we're breeding with this, uh, what we have embraced? Uh, don't be mistaken, <laughs> like never before, the battle rages. 
For who has the right to tell a person what they are, what they should be, and what they should do? Is it God the creator, or is it man the creation? We said this last week, you remember, what, what will rule the day, God's authority or man's autonomy? And I'll tell you, we looked this morning there in 2 Timothy, the reality is as men will be lovers of their own self, that is the desire too of autonomy. <laughs> I'm going to make the choices. And so we identified this first truth, and we'll move quickly since this is a review. But this first truth, the mainstream narrative on transgenderism has been shaped and supported by secular worldviews that are committed to man's uh, autonomy self-rule that's the pursuit i'll be my own god i'll i'll make the decisions myself and so we ought not to be surprised that that's the case and we are changing who mankind is his very essence of what he is so that he can be his own god then we said the second truth this was uh, a consistently christian approach to transgenderism must start with a biblical worldview and a biblical anthropology a study of mankind beliefs that must be grounded in the first three chapters of genesis those chapters established for you and I, our creation, our makeup, who we are as human beings, why we are created, what the roles of mankind, both man and woman, are, uh, and that he has given that we are made in the very image of God like nothing else in creation. You know, we said to further this self-rule, one must hold to the idea that mankind's greatest good and source of happiness is not what the Bible says it is throughout its pages. Now, this is key, right? We talked about this. The reality is that we have to change it. What is the ultimate satisfaction, the ultimate happiness for mankind? We must deny that the Bible establishes that the true source of happiness is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Maybe you're a visitor here and you say, hey, why are you guys all singing about Jesus Christ? Because Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. And friend, we're going to sing about Jesus Christ until our last breath, and then we're going to spend eternity singing about Jesus Christ. Because he's the Lamb of God. He is the Savior who's taken away the sins of the world. He's our Savior. He's Jesus Christ. And so reality is, listen, that is happiness. And we took it a step further because the Scriptures are clear. Jesus Christ said that I am come that they may have life and that they might have it more abundantly. See, we can have eternal life in Jesus Christ, and that's wonderful. Establish that relationship. But, boy, happiness is found in making Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, submitting to him. In every area of your life, say, okay, I'm going to line it up to God's word. I'm going to make sure that this life is, is mirroring what God says it ought to look like. And my friend, therein is happiness. And every time we de deviate from them, every time we get away from God's design, God's plan, his order, we find unhappiness. I shared the verse last time among many others, but I love this verse. Psalm 144 and verse 15. Happy is that people that is in such the case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. See, there's a direct correlation between our happiness and establishing Jehovah as our God, the ruler of our lives, the Lord of our lives, if we put it that way. He has to have the authority. His will is our way. His desire is our guidance. We find that in the scriptures. We said his teaching, his word, is the law of our lives. Uh, you deviate from that, and it will steal your happiness. It will take away uh, his glory. But we also identified this truth. Our enemy, the devil, the enemy of mankind, has been propagating his lie that hasn't changed since the Garden of Eden. It's this. True happiness is found in being your own God. Uh, true happiness is total autonomy. 
The latest trends, including transgenderism, are simply the most recent attack by our enemy on the order and design God established. And that is from where we derive truth number three. Transgenderism and the confusion surrounding gender is the most recent appeal by Satan to man's self-rule and rebellion against God and his design. See, we talked about those modern ideas of follow your own heart and and, uh, as I like to pick on Burger King, have it your way right away. Those are great slogans and advertisements, but they stink as life philosophies, okay? Following your heart and having your way. No, 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 that doesn't work. And we equated it to what? Every man doing that which is right in his own eyes, like in the days of the judges and the days of Noah. And we noticed how Jesus Christ himself said in the last times, it's going to be like the days of Noah, when every man follows his own heart, when every man does that which is right in his own eyes. And we, we also further identified last week, God has warned us about living by what seems right in our own eyes, what our heart tells us. Why? Jeremiah seventeen nine says the heart is desperately wicked. It's going to lead you astray, friend. Uh, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Proverbs 28, 26, he that trusteth in his heart is a fool. Boy, I, 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 I always chuckle when I hear somebody says, oh, I just know so because it's, I, I feel it in my heart. You know, the heart can be deceptive. The heart can deceive you. And this, this will play into today and our, our study this morning because this is crucial because we're going to look at it from a scientific standpoint. And the fact is we, we remove it from the scientific observable testing when we say, well, I just feel it. It's just in my own heart. I just feel it. So therefore, it is no longer testable. We'll see that today. And yet, this is what it plays into. We concluded this, and here's the conclusion we came to last week. We've rejected as a people, as a populace, as mankind, the authority of God through rejecting his divine design of his grandest creation, mankind. Uh, We've rejected it completely. It's produced the unprecedented level of disorder, confusion, and chaos in, in our midst. We are truly, as we said, in the days of Noah. So what do we take away from it? Well, we made these two applications. Here's our, our takeaways from last week. Where are the believers that will preach the truth like Noah? Until the moment the door is shut, where are those who will preach? Not just preachers behind a pulpit, but Christians in everyday life who will preach the truth. And then number two, I don't know, friend, but I sure seems like it'll be any moment when the first raindrops of judgment start to fall. When you and I are taken out of here by rapture and judgment falls. Oh, we could say already, there's certainly the chasing of the Lord and judgment in some ways. I, I think America is not what she once was because of the judgment of God. That's my opinion. You can uh, question me later, but I, I truly believe that. I, I believe we're on a downward spiral because it, it, the nation that exalts the Lord will be blessed. The one that doesn't will not. And so we've left off that. And so reality is, I think that's where we're at. Now, Point number two, okay, that's where we're at. Number two, let's ask this question. What does science tell us? Uh, What does science reveal? Does it prove, is it a proof for divine design or is it a uh, proof for disoriented disorder? What does it show? Yeah, this chaos, this confusion that we experience now, this uh, science just reveals it. Yeah, this is reality. This is what mankind is. I want you to look in Job chapter 12, will you with me? Verse number 7, well, look at the response here of God to, uh, to Job. I, I love this little section here, which we could read much of Job, because the Lord, God, he puts Job kind of in his place and establishes, wait a minute, I am God, you are not. Notice what he says in verse 7, we'll start that. But ask now the beast, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee. 
or speak to the earth and it shall teach thee. I mean, my friend, you know what it says, speak to the earth? Study it. You know what you find out when you study the earth? The heavens declare the glory of God declares there's a creator you you speak to the earth it'll teach you the fish of the sea shall declare unto thee who knoweth not in all these that the hand of the lord hath wrought this in whose hand is the soul of every living thing in the breath of all mankind my goodness can i tell you what that what god says listen you want to study the earth go right ahead because it's going to reveal a creator with a grand design and plan. His hand is in everything. Remember Romans chapter uh, 1 and verse 20. Remember this. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And creation reveals it. It shows it time and time again. I'd add uh, Jeremiah chapter 51 and verse 15. He hath made the earth by his power. He hath established the world by his wisdom. And he hath stretched out the heaven by his understanding. Boy, this world is the handiwork of God. And as the author, the creator, uh, science is going to show us, wait a minute, he has a grand design that is a perfect design. Oh, sin comes along, and it will taint it at times, and so forth, and, and cause problems. But my friend, it is a perfect design by a perfect creator. We derive this truth, truth number four from it. Science, which is the study of the observable, we'll talk about that more in a moment, can do nothing but confirm both the existence of God and his supreme design of all of mankind. See, science itself, that the study of the observable, in fact, Christ is the one, God is the one, excuse me, that in Job 12 here says, hey, let, let's study. Let's study the earth. Observe it. Talk to the fish. Look at the animals and, and study it. It will reveal that I am God. So literally, God is in, employing science, the, the scientific methods, the observable aspect of it. And it proves the existence of God and, yes, his supreme design of all mankind. So as we get into these scientific considerations, specifically dealing with transgenderism and everything else, I think it's important we throw out some definitions. We at least know how the world defines things and what it means by how it uses terms. I don't know about you, but it seems like in the last 10 years I've learned more words that I don't want to. Reading headlines and articles and things like this and books. And they seem to invent new words all the time to, to describe something or to replace. We'll see that today. Replace old words they don't like. And the uh, reality is, boy, all these definitions kind of mess with you and kind of get them. So let's make sure we're all on the same page here. Number one, transgender. We're going to define this as, or as it is defined, denoting or relating to a person whose sense of personal identity and gender does not correspond to their birth sex, their biological sex, all right? So this is basically how the term is defined. It's an umbrella term that is used for all who feel this way or express this. I, I, I'm different. I, I'm a man trapped in a woman's body, uh, a woman trapped in a man. Whatever the description is, that's what transgenderism describes. And so it's an umbrella term. Uh, no matter what you identify or you feel like you are, as long as it goes against your natural biological gender how you were born this is the term that applies okay number two we hear this term okay and we're speaking about it. it's in our title gender identity i'll use a definition by the human rights campaign and so uh, they're the ones pushing this quite a bit they define it as this one's innermost concept of self as male female or a blend of both or neither 
okay? I didn't, you could be a non-gen, uh, anyway. Uh, how individuals perceive themselves and what they call themselves. One's gender identity can be the same or different than their sex assigned at birth. You talk about chaos and confusion. See, now we just open the door for anything and everything, LGBTQ+++++++. We, we just, uh, Brother Schmig and I were talking for the service, and he identified 63 different genders. Is that right? 63 different genders that you can choose. That's a long form, amen, that you have to fill out at a doctor. I mean, come on, if we're being serious, I mean, that's literally what we're talking about. That's reality. This is the definition. If I could put it in a simpler definition, uh, it's a self-determined concept of self that is fluid, it's changeable, uh, social construct not confined to our biology. I like to say original plumbing. It's our biology, okay? It's not confined to that. Now listen to me. Do you understand what that simply says is that you simply get to decide what you are, what you will be, and the day you want to be it on. You can change. I mean, it's fluid. It, that's what fluid means, right? It changes, okay? It, it's constantly changing. And, and, and it's fluid. And here's the concern, and do not miss this. Do you realize that such a reality is only self-verifiable? Nothing else can verify it. Used to be the doctor could say, oh, it's a boy. How'd he do that? Well, it took years of study in, in, in classes to realize, no. He knows what a boy looks like. He knows what a girl looks like. It's verifiable. Okay? I'm not being silly. It's sad that we have to talk like this, but reality is this is where we are in America. Okay? It's observable. That's called science. I can observe it. I can see it. It's a boy. It is a girl. That, that's observable. Now we can't do that because it's non-verifiable outside the feelings and, quote, the heart of the person who wants to say, I am this gender, I am this gender, I am this gender. It's not verifiable. And I'll tell you, my friend, we talked about this at the beginning of our study. Boy, when truth becomes non-verifiable, we're in trouble. When it gets in the church, when it gets in lives, when truth becomes non-verifiable by the truth, now we're in trouble. When a person then is confused, they're mixed up, they have uh, personal chaos like the class that Brother Schmig alluded to uh, that they're teaching in elementary. The fact is when we reach that point where we don't know who we are and, or maybe somebody feels one way even though they're one way, it's called then gender dysphoria. It's a medical term, a psychological term. It's confusion, feeling trapped between a biological sex and a perceived gender. Now, interestingly, this not too many years ago, it used to be called gender identity disorder. They didn't like that. So let's redefine it. We'll call it a dysphoria, okay, as they've done with many of these terms. And so uh, it's no longer a disorder. It's just a dysphoria, okay? You're confused and so forth. So that's the term. This is what they mean. It's a, a feel, feeling trapped between the biological sex and perceived gender. Now, here's something that uh, those who are promoters of this, those who are, are really pushing transgenderism, one of the things they have to do is uh, they have to add validity to these terms and certainly their movement by holding to the idea that sex, male, female, and gender are separately identifiable concepts. So they've taken these terms that for most of us are synonymous. They're interchangeable. You know, you, you fill out a form, sex, male, female, MF, okay. Uh, gender, it'd be the same, male, female. So for us, they're interchangeable, yet they have to define them or, or kind of tear them apart. Really, it, it, it began to be pushed, not surprisingly, in the 1960s when the sexual revolution was getting going. 
uh, and really got introduced in that sense. And so uh, as they want to separate, redefine them to fit their belief system. And so in order to do that, here's how they redefine them. Sex, then, is uh, it references the obvious biological, anatomical traits, bone structure, DNA, genitalia, hormones, internal productive organs. Okay, so they use that term to identify the uh, anatomical differences between male and female. Okay, then they go on and they would define gender and contrast the subjective, psychological, social, and cultural aspects of being male and female. Okay, now, if they define gender this, do you see the big issue with that statement immediately? It's one word, subjective. Now, now it's up to you. It, it, now it's just up to a person. Again, non-verifiable, but anything else, anybody else, and it opens the door for anything And it really specifically makes it a feeling-based concept, now get this, that is disconnected from science. So now it's all feelings-based. It's it's disconnected from science, from biology. See, that's the biological. We love that term because it's a great term, biology. Biology, we all, uh, some of us suffered through biology, right? In high school, okay? Maybe college even, right? And the reality was, we understand that biology, biological, that's scientifically established. That's who I am or what I am. That's biology. Now, it's no longer a biological concept. It's removed, disconnected from science, biology, and it's completely subjective. So in this discussion, we have a big problem with science. Why? Because science is defined. I just use a secular definition. In fact, it comes from a professor at the University of Georgia. Here's how science can be de- defined. The concerted human effort to understand or to understand better the history of the natural world and how the natural world works with observable physical evidence as the basis of that understanding. It is done through observation. See, we're asking the question, which is more scientific, God's divine design or this disoriented disorder with all the chaos and confusion of multi-genders? Can I tell you, I am so thankful that science backs up God's word. And that's, all, that's what he was saying in Job. That's what he was establishing here. His reality is, wait a minute, science backs it up. You know, there, there's a further, many science teachers would agree that uh, with this much-used statement, if we could just boil it down, you know what science is? It's observable, it is testable, it is tentative, it is predictable, and it is consistent. See, that's science. That's, if you study science, well, you want to be able to test it and observe and extend, and that it will prove itself to be true time and time and time again. And can I tell you, science does so. And so we just come down to this truth, truth number five, real quick. Only two biological uh, genders can be scientifically observed and confirmed. Only two, scientifically. We'll we'll get to the Bible in a moment. We'll we'll study exactly what the Bible says about that divine design, but there's only two. That's a problem for proponents of transgenderism. Now, biology and science establish that simple truth. They would go on and they felt the need to redefine those who are not transgender. And they've come up with this term, okay? You've probably heard it, cisgender. It refers to someone in which there is a match between what a person was born and what they identify as. So if you were born a male and you identify as a male, then you're cisgender, okay? That's their term. In fact, somewhat, uh, uh, somewhat derogative. Why did they come up with a new term? Well, they're not dumb. They want to replace such terms as natural, biological. They they want to come up with something to redefine it that doesn't sound so anti-scientific. 
anti what you created. And so we come up with these terms to, to make what is natural, what is biological, well, it's just another type of what we are. Uh, it, it is really watering it down, if you could put it this way. You say, why in the world do they do that? There's a professor, his name was Volkmar Sigush, if I pronounce that correct. He's credited with first coining the phrase back in the 1990s, cisgender. Why did he do it? Here's his explanation. He says, and he pushed for, quote, the need of dismantling the old patterns of sexuality and reassembling them anew. That's the whole point. That, why do you come up with this term, <laughs> uh, Mr. Professor? Well, here's why. We, we, we need to dismantle the old patterns of sexuality, and we need to reassemble them anew. Now, what is he really saying? Don't miss it. Here's what he's saying. Let's get rid of God's design and redesign it according to man's desire. We want to get rid of what God says is mankind and how he's defined man and woman. Let's get rid of that and we'll redefine it according to our desire. And so, boy, if you stand up against that, if you speak up against it, then they're going to throw some terms at us, gender binary. This is a derogative term to describe people who classify all people according to the antiquated belief that there are only two genders. It's you and I. Or gender binary as they would describe us. And then they would throw this little term on there. They'd say, that's genderist. You're a genderist. You're a bigot who only holds to two genders. And they parallel it to being racist. Genderist, racist. And so yeah, you're a bigot. You don't, you, know, you don't embrace what they feel they are and so forth. And likely you probably suffer from transphobia. You have an irrational fear then of transgender people based upon prejudice and bigotry and, and uh, hatred and so forth. And just like racism, the problem now, you know what we're going to get? We're going to get to the point where, yeah, you are that, but you don't realize it. Right? I mean, that's where we're at today. Someone else can diagnose you with something even though you aren't it, but they think you are and they want to tell you are and you can't see it because you're blind to it. But that's where we're at today. And, and that's how they're going to attack you and I as believers. So the question is this, too, that we would add. So, okay, with all that said and understanding their terminology and, and how, man, they're trying to change things, manipulate things, what does the actual science, the studies say, beyond the obvious biological proof that we observe that there's two genders? Well, there's a groundbreaking report, study, that came out in, back in 2016. It was highly regarded at the time, or excuse me, the authors of it were highly regarded at the time. They were distinguished professors from John Hopkins University, and, and in their fields, they were the top of their fields. They came out with this uh, study. It was entitled this, Sexuality and Gender, Findings from the Biological, Psychological, and Social Science. Lawrence Mayer and a lot of initials behind his name, Paul McHugh. In the field of psychology, McHugh has been called the most important American psychiatrist of the last half century. Okay, so this is a huge report that came out. Two men, renowned and so forth. So what was the point of their study? What was the point of this goal? What was their goal in putting out this study, this scientific study? Well, let me allow one of the authors, Lawrence Mayer, to explain what he was doing and his goal behind it. He says this, I dedicated my work on this report, first to the LGBT community, which bears a disproportionate rate of mental health problems compared to the population as a whole. Uh, we must find ways to relieve the suffering, okay? So there's his goal, his desire. He goes on, he says this now. We should not 
be dogmatically committed to any particular views about the nature of sexuality or gender identity. Rather, we should be guided first and foremost by the needs. Woo! Now, we can derive from that. You know what he's saying? You ought not to hold in any dogma. You know what dogma is? Doctrine. You know what doctrine is? Conviction. You know what you and I as Christians need to have? Doctrine and conviction. Thus saith the Lord. So we derive our doctrine, we derive our convictions from what God's word says about mankind, about creation, about sin, about everything. Okay? So he's saying we ought not to hold that. So we could easily say this, at the very least, this gentleman, these authors are very sympathetic right, to the LGBTQ community, transgenderism, and so forth. Very sympathetic, if not proponents of it. Now, here's the problem. When the study came out, it created a huge uproar. Mainstream media didn't want to cover the report. They didn't want to even put it in other uh, magazines and so forth. They didn't want to allude to it. Uh, in fact, the two men, the, uh, it, it was refuted. Their study, the two men were attacked. They were dismissed as bad scientists, hugely denounced. It was called false science and so forth. Why? Because in their scientific study, the findings did not match the narrative that was going around about transgenderism. And LGBT, it didn't match what, what we want to say is, is the way it is. And uh, to renowned men, professors, as I would assume, not believers, no agenda from a, a, a biased nature, if we could put it that way. No, if anything, the other way. And they came out with some amazing findings. Now, I share them with you from the beginning of the report. I've read the first part of the report. I've read certainly the findings and so forth. And so I give these to you in a summarization from a Christian counselor and so forth. And yet, I've read them to confirm that. And you'll see the quotations taken directly from the report. Number one is this. Okay, notice it. The understanding, this is what the authors write in their scientific study. This understandings of sexual orientation as an innate, biologically fixed property of human beings the idea that people are born that way is not supported by scientific evidence. Hmm. That's good. I mean, you understand what they're, they're analyzing psychologically people coming and say, well, you know what, I, I, I was born a male, but I, I'm not really a male. I was born like a female inside. Like, there is no scientific evidence whatsoever for that. That's what they're establishing. From a psychological standpoint, no, 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 that doesn't match up. Number two, notice what else they say. The research found that certain environmental factors were frequently common among homosexual and lesbian individuals and that these factors may have influenced their sexual orientation in a more definitive way. For example, quote, non-heterosexuals are are about two to three times as likely to have experienced childhood sexual abuse when contrasted with heterosexuals. Do you realize what I'm saying? Training and environment have impacted people to be confused. Things they were exposed to, things that impacted their thinking psychologically. That this was an innate, this was environmental factors that were common caused sexual deviations. They're not born this way. There's environmental factors that have come to play. Number three, same-sex attraction in adolescence does not predict homosexual lesbian orientation as adult. Now, this is a staggering percentage. In fact, 80% of adolescents who experienced some period of same-sex attraction in their youth had resolved such feelings by adulthood and were successfully heterosexual in their orientation. Do you realize our government is now, right now, making it against the law for you to help somebody who's struggling in this area? 
See, no, no, we don't, we don't mess with that. And yet the, the science person, wait a minute, they're, they're struggling. We need to help them and understand, boy, there's a God in heaven who made you a male if you're a male, made you a female if you're a female, and he has a wonderful plan for you. It is a gift of God that you are the gender you are. We can't say that according to the, the government and the laws. And yet science says, wait a minute, it proves. It proves true. Number four, compared to the general population, homosexuals, now this is an amazing statement, homosexuals, lesbians, demonstrate the elevated risk for adverse health and mental health outcomes. Do you realize what that's saying? It's not healthy physically, mentally, spiritually to believe a lie. I don't need a scientific study to tell me that. I'm glad it confirms it, but the Bible makes it pretty clear. You believe a lie about yourself, about anything. It's going to affect you physically. It's going to affect you uh, psychologically. It's going to affect you spiritually. It's just they confirmed it for us. Number five, notice what else. Members, quote unquote, members of the non-heterosexual population are estimated to have 1.5, one and a half times higher risk of experience anxiety disorders than members of the heterosexual population, as well as roughly double the risk of depression, one and a half times the risk of substance abuse, and nearly two and a half times the risk of suicide. It goes on, transgendered individuals are at a much higher risk for mental health problems than the general population. Here's a quote from the, the findings. Especially alarmingly, the rate of lifetime suicide attempts is among transgenders across all ages of transgender individuals is estimated at 41% compared to under 5% in the overall U.S. population. Man, the mental effect on this, the confusion and the chaos, and we alluded before of the suicide. Uh, the seventh finding, or one of the, uh, we bring highlight to you, sexual reassignment surgery offers no benefit to those who experience gender dysphoria. Post-surgery, these individuals continue to have a higher risk for poor mental health outcomes. Look at the quote. One study found that sex reassigned individuals were about five times more likely to attempt suicide and about 19 more times to die by suicide. That's sad. Now listen, these people need the hope of Jesus Christ. They need hope. They need help. Real help. Not a government and a people that confirmed them in their lie or affirmed them in their lie. They need to hear the truth. And you know, friend, what the truth does? It makes you free. It sets you free. That's what they need to hear. And yet in the world in which we are propagating lies and encouraging people to believe a lie, we are a world full of unhappy people who'd rather take our lives sometimes than embrace the truth. What a sad reality. It goes on, number eight here, only a minority of children who experience cross-gender identification will continue to do so in, in adolescence or adulthood. And yet our government is imposing guidelines for elementary school bathrooms that reinforce and affirm a child's confusion on this issue. Uh, this doesn't stick. Number nine, study goes on to challenge the idea, and I think this is a crucial statement, of organic differences in the brains of homosexual and heterosexual individuals. What does that mean? Have you ever heard the term, well, I'm just wired different? That's what the, that's a statement. This is a, no, no, that's not true. Uh, there may be some organic difference existed, but it's impossible to determine where they came from. Genesis. In other words, there's no way to know if the difference in their brains were an eight, present at birth, or a product of environment, trauma, abuse, substance abuse, injury. And we know, we know scientifically all those things can affect the thinking. 
And so it is here. Maybe you've been trained different. Maybe uh, you've gone through something that's affected that. And then last but not least, and I, I saved this one for last because this is really comes to bear on our study here this morning. Quote from their study, the hypothesis that gender identity is an innate fixed property of human beings that is independent of biological sex. That is, a person might be a man trapped in a woman's body or a woman trapped in a man's body is not supported by scientific observance. Amen. Evidence. It's not there. Okay. This is a, and so you can understand, we can see, wait a second, science clearly backs up God's design. And, and yet it was rejected. They, these men were just torn to pieces because of it. And, and their agenda was not saying, well, I'm a, a Bible thumper and I'm just going to get it. No, 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 no. Their agenda was to help the LGBTQ. Their agenda, they were saying, we ought not have dogmatic beliefs about uh, sexuality. And so we ought, they were in no way in our camp or trying to come at it. They're just saying, well, huh, here's what the science says. Here's what the science says. Can we just say it's safe to say that science solely and concretely proves the divine design of mankind? Now, next week, we'll get into, we're going to study specifically, and the most important part of this study is, okay, what does God say about it and the uniqueness and the blessedness of the genders and what God has done, and and boy, how it's a perfect plan. But suffice it to say that no matter the scientific and biblical evidence, now hear me out, okay? It's not Bible closing time. Hear me out. Suffice it to say, unbelievers will continually rail against the truth. No matter the scientific evidence, no matter the biblical evidence, and it ought not to surprise us because God a long time ago through, through Paul, he said this, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Can I tell you, it takes illumination for us to understand and realize the spiritual ramifications of all these things and the reality of it, that there is a creator God in heaven who desires to have a relationship with every man, every woman. And man, the natural man struggles with that. And certainly the devil throws in his life. You see, the battle we find ourselves in today for the truth, it's not with unbelievers. It's not with researchers, homosexuals, transgender, lesbians. That is not who the battle is with. The battle is spiritual. And it requires endurance and persistence and the repetition of the truth in love. Paul was clear where that battle lies when he wrote the church at Ephesus. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of the world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. My friend, we are fighting, listen to me carefully, we are fighting the same enemy that fought against God in the Garden of Eden, that Moses and the Israelites fought in the Old Testament, that Samuel fought, that those prophets really fought against. And listen, the same enemy that Christ fought when he walked this earth. The disciples fought the early church and in those early churches and every believer since. Man, the enemy is nothing new. Oh, his tactics and his methods and the things that he uses to stir up trouble, those may come and go, but the enemy is here to stay until Jesus Christ defeats him. So we ought not to be surprised and we ought to remind him that that's that's who our battle's against. So let me say that this way, okay? Number one, what's today's takeaways? Number one, I would encourage you and I as believers, know the science. 
Don't let someone say, well, that's not, you're just saying that because the Bible, no, it isn't just the Bible that says this, science says this. And they can try to change science all they want, but reality is science by its basic, basic definition is testable and observable. And so are two genders. So know the science. But, and let me add this, while we know well that the current research exposes the manipulation, the falsities of the promoters of these anti-truth movements like transgenderism, and, and it affirms the truth in, in contrast, let's be reminded and remind ourselves to know that research, study, and science are not our weapons of warfare. God's Word is our sole source of truth. It is our shield and our sword. I'm thankful for the scientific studies as I've shown you today. I'm grateful there. But listen, my friend, I don't need scientific studies to tell me God's word is true. And that is the truth we hold to. With it, we measure and discern whether something is truth. With it, we are protected from deception, heresy, and lies. With it, we respond with the gospel and the hope. You, You know what we hope? That some believers might be awakened to the miraculous grace that not only brings salvation, but the grace of God that gives understanding and purpose to life. I tell you, you know what humans struggle with the most? Friend, it, it, it isn't their sexuality. It isn't socialism versus capitalism. No, no, no. You know what humans wrestle with the most? Why am I here? What is the purpose of life? And my friend, when you find Jesus Christ, you find the answers to all the questions. We saw last week that God created us for His good pleasure. For His glory we are created. Boy, you embrace that and you come to that understanding as the creation that we're here to bring glory to the Creator. It'll start filling in all the blanks everywhere else in your life. See, that's where we struggle. Let us not forget that it's no benefit helping an unbeliever see the scientific truth of an issue if he or she is lost for all of eternity. Again, I'm all for using science, and I'm all for uh, talking and discussing everything, but no one's going to be saved through a great scientific study. Oh, the research is good. It, it can be a new confrontation to those trained in a lie. For some, that this research, these studies, will provoke questions and conviction that we as proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ must be prepared to answer. But let's remember, our answers are found in the Scripture, not secular studies. Let me put it this way and we're done. May we always stand ready to offer Christ as the only solution to man's sinful depravity and eventual eternal death. Do you realize today you and I can offer life through Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ was praying in John chapter 17 and verse 3, and this is what he prayed. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. My friend, can I tell you what every human needs, first and foremost, is Jesus Christ. And the rest of the blanks will be filled in. And you and I can bring someone to that point by discerning between good and evil, having our, exor- our, our senses exercised by the word of God. May you and I go out and be a light for him this week. Father, we thank you for your word. I am grateful for the truths we've seen this morning. And Father, just the reality as we look around us, Lord, people would have us to to think and believe that science and other things don't support your word. But Father, upon close inspection, we see, we understand that 
what you say in your word is, is supported by science. And even if it weren't, Lord, we're grateful for the truth of your word. My Father, I pray that you would help us to take these things to heart and to mind. I pray, Father, that you would help us as we've been desiring to do, to be ready to give an answer to every man that asked us a question of the hope that lieth within us. Lord, I pray as in workplaces and among family and in the community when people ask us or it comes up about gender and so forth, Lord, may we astutely be able to explain what the Bible says and how science confirms that. And then, Lord, may we share with that person the greatest need that every person has, and that's Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you'd help us to use these current events, these hot topic buttons, and uh, Lord, that these issues, may we see these as open doors to tell people about you. And as we stand on the truth and speak the truth in love, Father, may we point to a glorious and gracious Savior that is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Father, I pray you'd give us opportunities. In these perilous times, as we see that passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3 come to fruition in our, before our very eyes, in our midst, Lord, I pray we would find the opportunity to tell people about Jesus Christ. May we shine brightly for you. And Lord, I pray we'd have great discernment as we look at the landscape of this world. Help us to please you in all these things, Father. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'll ask you to join me in standing all the way across the auditorium. With heads bowed and eyes closed, the piano begins to play. Uh, maybe there's a friend who's confused and uh, you need to pray for right now. I encourage you to do that. Maybe you can take a bolder stand in, in witnessing and telling somebody in discussion, speaking about the truth of God's Word. Maybe you want to pray for that boldness even now, the courage to do so. I don't know how God has spoken to you. Maybe you've been a little discouraged. Maybe you've been a little taken back. Maybe you've been a little fuzzy about what the Bible says about something. Would you just pray and ask God to help you to be a discerner of both good and evil? Having your senses exercised by God's Word. How about God has spoken this morning? Won't you, won't you respond to Him? Maybe you're here this morning say, Pastor Henry, I'm not sure if I die today, if I'd go to heaven. Can I encourage you, friend? That's the first step. You establish that relationship with God through Jesus Christ by putting your faith and trust in Him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is that you, friend? Do you need to do that? With heads bowed and eyes closed, let's do business with Him.